For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Bailey is tracked down for a short loss. Shamarco Thomas. It's like a missile. It's a heat-seeking missile to the football. Charles finding someone, directing his body, and trying to run through that person. An explosive safety. For some programs, maybe doesn't mean as much. For this Syracuse program, it means a lot. What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network, with episode 25 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast, presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I am here with Kyle Leff, but we are here to talk about Syracuse basketball this time. Some slight modification to the graphics and the naming of the podcast. You may have seen um, if if you're going back and checking out some of our previous episodes from the football season we have rebranded so to speak and we are now believe in Syracuse all encompassing everything related to Syracuse which means if we decide we want to we could talk about softball lacrosse basketball recruiting we can do anything we want and because we can do anything we want Kyle and I are going to talk about Syracuse basketball where it's been this season where it's going and all of that. But first, I must welcome Kyle back into the podcast. I've missed you. It's been a while. Um, happy holidays. Happy holidays to all of our listeners. But it's good to be back and talking Syracuse sports. It is great to be back, Mike. I have missed you as well. I have missed getting on my soapbox and discussing why Sean Tucker is the greatest player to ever live. I have discussed, missed all of that discussion uh, happy New Year's, hopefully, to all listeners. Obviously, we're filming this just before the new year, uh, but happy holidays to all. Um, and I'm excited to finally discuss uh, the Bayheim brothers to discuss why we're going to barely squeak in the, the tournament and then go on a run to the finals. I am so beyond ready for it. It has been many years in the making of discussing this over Twitter. I cannot wait to discuss it and uh, get some feedback from the listeners as to why uh, I'm awful. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I think you hit on a couple of things there. First of all, I think Syracuse fans would take squeaking into the tournament at this point, sitting at six and five. But um, as we record this episode and perhaps the issue with this team has been the fact that Sean Tucker is not on it. Yeah. Why Maybe is he not we here? Found the solution. To we Syracuse need our basketball. six foot tall beast to be on the court for us. We need That's it. That's right. Get in there, figure something out. Uh, but we're in. It. But before we get to that, we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on to start another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use promo code NFL100. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online, your online sports book experts. In all seriousness, we're going to start with our first episode regarding basketball to look back and see how Syracuse has gotten to six and five. And we'll start with the first two games of the season. Syracuse opened up uh, regular season play. They had a couple of exhibition games prior to this, but the open regular season play against Lafayette with a 97 to 63, 34 point win, and then tested a little bit more against Drexel a few days later actually trailing at halftime, but dominated the second half and won 75 to 60 to start two and zero. And I think Kyle, that's pretty much where everyone expected them to be after those two games. Yeah. If we had lost to Lafayette or Drexel, that would have been as bad a loss as it can get. 
I don't think either we expected us to lose to either of them, especially Lafayette. I know at that point in time, Lafayette were are not a great team. Um, when it comes to Drexel, yeah, it was tough to see us only win by the digits we did. Uh, but Drexel at that point came off a hundred point victory um, against Newman College. Obviously, not great opposition, but still putting up a hundred points is not easy to do. So that one, yes, it was a bit more of a shaky result but they knew how to score the ball so okay we won we won convincingly in the end that's fine uh at that point if we're not two and zero, i throw the towel in and leave yeah and 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 the good thing about the drexel game too um and, and i said this after the game was over was that you know, you go into halftime losing by a point after Drexel makes a little bit of a run at the end of the first half. And it, it was obviously if you're Syracuse, it's not a good thing, but it gave those that are watching the team, covering the team and, and following the team, the ability to see how they bounce back. Right. So how did they take that adversity? It was really, you know, game two of the season. How do they handle that type of adversity losing at home at halftime to a team that you feel like you should beat. And, you know, the, the fact that they bounce back um, and, and outscore Drexel by 16 in the second half, scoring 43 points in the second half, holding Drexel to under 38% shooting in that second half, just three for 10 from three point range while Syracuse shot 63% in that second half. So I think uh, encouraging to see the way that they bounced back in the second half. Um, The problem is the next game kind of blew up that theory that this team was good at halftime adjustments and that if they got down in the first half of the game against an inferior opponent, it was all good because they've got veteran leadership and, and a lot of guys with experience and they're going to be just fine. Right? Because They got down at the half against Colgate, similarly to the way they did against Drexel. They kind of jumped out early, and then Colgate made a late run and um, all of that to take a a three-point lead into halftime. But Syracuse wasn't able to flip the switch and lost to Colgate for the first time in 60-plus years. Just, uh, I think, a shocking loss in Game 3 of the season. It's a shocking loss, and I think the best way to summarize it is uh, well-known uh, college basketball reporter John Rothstein always puts out tweets when a big team loses a, a small team or someone they shouldn't lose to, and his tweets are like Syracuse loses a bye game to Colgate, the epitome of brutality, I believe is what he, what he typed. <laughs> and that's true. It is the, it's brutal. This is a tough loss that will come back to bite us later. I would much rather us lose to Duke than lose to Colgate any day of the week. A loss to Colgate later, not great. If it's someone like uh, an Auburn or uh, Indiana, okay, that's more reasonable. But we're talking about Colgate. And I'm not saying Colgate's bad, but, and this is a big but here, I don't honestly remember the last time they have there they've been a top team in the nation and that might be my memory going blank but they're not a team you should lose to especially if you are Syracuse with a consensus preseason all-american player uh projected one of the best players in the nation one of the best players in the ACC and Buddy Bayheim. like you should not lose to this team and you lost by 15 as well that's the bigger problem. You lost by that much. Wasn't a last second bucket. It was a 15 point loss. Yeah. And, and, you know, Colgate has had um, some tournament teams in in the last few years, but you know, the, the closest game when you start looking back, right. So, you know, Syracuse um, hadn't lost to Colgate since 1962. Um, and, that was for live back then, by the way. Might right. have it, it was so long ago that Jim Beheim wasn't even the head coach of Syracuse. Jim Beheim had never lost to Colgate as a head coach. Um, bonkers. But you start flipping through some of these old scores, 
and Syracuse is winning every game basically by 15 plus points, 30 points, 40 points, 50 points um, regularly. Like the, the last close game, quote unquote, was 1993 when Syracuse won by 11. Um, John Wallace had 24 points in that game, by the way. Um, but you, you know, you look at the last few years, 2019 Syracuse won by 16, um, 2018 Syracuse won by 21, 2017 by 14, 2016 by 28. I mean, so they're, they're dominating Colgate, you know, year after year. It's not like the margins were slowly, shrinking so that you could see Colgate developing Colgate getting better. And, and this was the year they just happened to catch Syracuse. That's, that's not what this was. Um, And to me, the, the part that raised the most eyebrows was the fact that, um, you know, Colgate took about 65 60 to 65% of its shots from three point range. I mean, they, they just, 43 attempted three-pointers. They had two guys who were six for 13 from three. They scored 100 points. They shot 46% from the floor, 42% from three-point range. Um, But then Colgate is not a team that is physically imposing by any means. They out-rebounded Syracuse by 10. Ow. The they had seven, they had 19 offensive rebounds in that game, which led to 18 second chance points. Um, again, 18 made three pointers. Syracuse was just seven for 23, 30% from three point range in this game. So you, you make seven, your opponent makes 18. That's plus 11. That's plus 33 points from Colgate from the three-point line. It's and just, I, 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 I mean, it it was just a strange game. Um, Colgate really dominated. I mean, Syracuse scored 85 points. You should win a game when you score 85 points. And yet they lost by 15 points because they just didn't play defense. And then I think for, for Syracuse fans, the other frustrating part was they jumped out to a 17-2 to two lead five minutes into the game. And this looked like another classic case of Syracuse is going to blow out Colgate. They were up 22 to five with 13 minutes to go in the first half, 17 point lead from that point on from when Syracuse was up 22 to five Colgate outscored Syracuse 95 to 63. That's a 32-point turnaround. That's just not good Insane. enough. Insane. <laughs> you should not lose. You, not should not, you should not be outscored by Colgate by 32 points over what is essentially a 33-minute span. That's just insanity. So at that point, there were a lot of red flags that were jumping up um, about this, this team. Suddenly... You know, you, you weren't 2-0 and with, um, you know, a little bit of a comeback in game two and scoring a bunch of points and you feel pretty good about the team. Instead, you lost to Colgate for the first time in 60 years where you play terrible defense throughout the whole the entire game. And now all of a sudden people are thinking, wait a minute, is this the worst team that Jim Beheim has ever had? So then you fast forward to the battle for Atlantis. And I, can we not discuss this? I don't want to discuss <laughs> they, the pain of this. Was. They did win one of the games there, but um, they go one and two and it started with the game against VCU. Now coming in VCU was not um, a great team. They were one of the worst offensive teams in the country. Um, it, it was not only in terms of scoring, but in terms of shooting from inside the arc, from outside the arc, but as bad as they were offensively, they were that good defensively. They were in the top five in virtually every single defensive category, but they were just two and two on the season 
coming into that game with losses to Chattanooga and Wagner. And they hadn't scored over 60 points in a game yet. They had scored 57, 44, 48, and 54. Those were VCU's um, scores, the, the amount of points that they scored, coming into the game with Syracuse. Against Syracuse, they scored 67. 10 more points than and then in any game they had scored to that point. Um, now, they shot just 26% in the first half. Syracuse held a four-point lead. Then they shot 57% in the second half. And that was when you saw things really start to unravel for Syracuse, uh, was the fact that VCU, a team that had scored in the 40s twice in total, scored 44 points in the second half against Syracuse. And so Syracuse falls to that team. Um, a lot of people thought that, that that VCU team is a really bad team. Um, they ended up losing their next two games in the battle for Atlantis, which dropped them to three and four on the season. They've won four straight since then. Um, now, not fantastic competition, but they've scored over 70 points a couple times. They've gotten in the 60s in each game. Um, so, and, and they've had three straight games either canceled or postponed um, due to COVID. So they're sitting at seven and four. Um, so they've, they've turned around a little bit. I don't think that's going to be a bad loss by the, by the time the season ends. But that was still a game that after losing to Colgate, you kind of expected Syracuse to come out and show a little bit more than they did. It's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer bratwurst, jalapeno cheddar sausage, kibasi, and bun-length chicken sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and snappy grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect a lot more, and that that VCU loss, I mean, it's just, you said, like, they've put up 40 points twice, and they put up 40 and a half against us just the fact putting up 28 points and a half is again it's not great especially for a team that is meant to be this offensive juggernaut that we think Syracuse is meant to be I mean obviously the 2-3 zone always makes the game close always makes us have a good defense but this Q's team came into the season with expectations of being a dynamo on offense and that is a very strange word to use the word of the day for me but you would expect 30 points from buddy you expected 20 from joe dozens from jimmy like you expected them to put up points and losing like they did it's just i don't even know what to say about it in all honesty i don't know where to like classify this well and the good news is the next game syracuse plays Arizona State and wins that game by eight points, but the game really wasn't that close. Syracuse is up by 18 at the half. Um, you know, they they push the lead. At, I think they I don't remember if they actually ended up getting it up to 20 or not, but um, you know, it was seven, it was a 17 point lead um with about 15 minutes to go, and it kind of hung between I'd say 12 and 17, 18 for most of the second half. Um, you know, it was 18 with, with 12 minutes to go. And then right about the eight to 10 minute mark, somewhere in there, Arizona state made a little bit of a run where they made some shots, but um, even so with four minutes to go, it was a 14 point game uh, with three minutes to go. Um, it was a 13 point game, but Arizona state made some shots down the stretch and it ended up being an eight point victory, which really wasn't indicative of how much Syracuse dominated that game. But even still, you're starting to notice a theme with the Syracuse defense, giving up more points and higher shooting percentage than the opponent's averages. And that happened again against Arizona state. Then you fast forward to the next game against Auburn. Auburn is a top was a top 20 team at the time. I think a lot of people think that they can contend for the sec sec title. That was a 10 point deficit 
at halftime, most of that first half, it was actually a close game. And then um, Auburn really pulled away with a run from about the six minute mark to the four minute mark. They went on an 11-0 run that took a one-point lead for Syracuse with about seven minutes to go in the half and turned that into a 10-point lead for Auburn, and it kind of stayed there, and that's where it ended at the end of the first half. And then in the second half, um, you know, Syracuse a couple of times made a little bit of a push to try to get back in it, but Auburn just pulled away. They were clearly the better team. Um, I don't take a ton away from that, but it was another game where Auburn shot the ball well from inside the arc, 51% overall and 40% from three. Um, and, you know, it was just you come away from the Bahamas one and two and, you know, you're you're licking your chops a little bit, after, especially after that VCU loss. Um, and, you know, Syracuse sitting at three and three you're starting to wonder, you know, what's going on with this team. Yeah. It just, that's not good enough. And again, Auburn is a team you'd expect to be one of the better. As you said, they were top 20 and one of their players, Jabari Smith, uh, one of their freshmen is a legitimate stud. He's going to be in the NBA in a year. So you would, you can't expect much to go right. Uh, And this game is a one that if you win it, it's really good. If you lose it, it happens. Um, it can't look bad. But again, losing by as many as we did, it's it's adding up. That's the the only way to put it. Putting losing eighty nine to sixty eight, not great. Having given up now for three different games out of your first six, having given up over uh, eighty points is never something that is good. And I know we're going to discuss it in a second, but they then did the exact same thing in the next game, giving up over 80 points in regulation. It just, it's, it's not going in the right direction is the best way to put it. Correct. Defense was, was clearly an issue, but the fact that you were sitting at three and three, it really made the Indiana game so important for Syracuse to win, regardless of how, of how they figured out how to do it. And the main reason is because you're looking at this stretch of the schedule and after Indiana, you've got at Florida state, you've got Villanova, who was a top 10 team at the top 10 team at the time in a neutral court game. And then you've got at Georgetown, which even though Georgetown isn't very good, it's a rivalry game. It's on the road. They're going to be up for it. So you never know how those games are going to play out. So Indiana game at home in the dome against a team that was undefeated at the time. It was an opportunity for Syracuse to play well against a quality opponent and sort of, you know, get their confidence back internally, regardless of what us on the outside are thinking, but just for themselves to get back in the right frame of mind and get back to playing some good basketball. And, and in the first half, you know, they were up by 13 or by 16 points at the half. Um, Indiana only shot 35% overall. They were just three for 12 from three. Um, Syracuse had a little, this was where they introduced their little wrinkle into the zone of instead of being a traditional two, three, they went to kind of a one, one, three, when they moved buddy to the, um, down to the free throw line. And, and that took away what teams were doing, which was, throwing it into a guy in the high post and having them dictate where the ball goes from there. And Syracuse was really struggling with that approach to, to uh, carving up the zone and moving buddy down there and just having Joe at the top of the zone by himself, that, that kind of squashed that and, and really seemed to throw Indiana for a loop. And I think, uh, you know, Syracuse, it, it was a nice little wrinkle that they had there. But then in the second half, the exact opposite. Um, Indiana shot 74% in the second half, six for nine from three, which is 67%, and scored 55 second half points to send the game into overtime. But then it wasn't just all of that. Syracuse was up by three late. They foul Indiana in the final couple of seconds so that Indiana can't attempt a tying three-pointer. Indiana makes the first free throw, 
misses the second on purpose to try to get an offensive rebound and and throw up a shot real quick, which never works until this game. When it did work, Jesse Edwards had fouled out. Indiana gets the rebound, puts it back in, ties the game. It goes into overtime, and that was where we kind of just had the craziness that was, you know, the overtime session. Um, Syracuse starts out by hitting a uh, I'm sorry, Indiana starts out by hitting a three-pointer. Cole Swider answers, and it was just kind of back and forth, back and forth um, until, you know, the, the final minute to go with the game tied at 97 and neither team is able to, to score. So you go to the second overtime and that was one again, where Indiana jumped out early to a four point lead um, a minute into the overtime session. And then Frank Anselm free throw shooting extraordinaire hits four straight free throws to tie the game. Syracuse ends up going up by four um, with 40 seconds to go, but then three pointer from Indiana um, Syracuse fouls Indiana attempting a game tying three pointer. They make all three free throws. And then Joe Girard is fouled with under a second to go attacking the rim. And he makes a couple of free throws to give Syracuse the win. So, all in all, there's good and bad. The good news is they got the important win that they needed to kind of get the season back on track, push you to four and three or above 500. You beat a quality opponent. The bad, the same issues that had plagued them with the losses to VCU and Colgate came back to bite them in this one, which is the terrible defense, the bad rebounding. They were out-rebounded by 15 in this one, despite the fact that they beat Indiana. But still, they got back on track. Then you go play at Florida State, which was another critical game. It's your first conference game. And sitting at four and three, yes, you feel good about the fact that you won the Indiana game, but obviously there's a ton more work to do to try to make up for that Colgate game. Um, Colgate, by the way, is now sitting at four and nine on the season. They have lost seven of their last eight since beating Syracuse. Um, so obviously that's not going to help with uh, the net ranking and all that, but Syracuse goes and plays at Florida state, Florida state had was one win shy of tying the ACC record for most conference home wins in a row. And Syracuse was trailing by eight at halftime and they outscore Florida state by 11 in the second half and pull off a win to improve to five and three on the season. I thought this was going to be the turning point of the year and was really going to be end up being a season-defining win was pulling that off at Florida State. I think it would have been, except the next game was against Villanova. At the time, they were a sixth seed, and you're playing, as you said, at a neutral site at Madison Square Garden, the Mecca. And that's if if you're putting a bad time to play that team, it's right there. It's right after a statement win. You don't want to play somebody like that. That... In any sport, if you pull off a big win and you're feeling good, you're riding high, the last thing you want to do is play a team that you know is better than you. That is the last thing you want to do. Because, yes, you're going to try and play up to them. And it's one thing if you're in the Dome. It's one thing if you're in uh, Nova Stadium. But playing them at MSG at a neutral site, it's just you're asking for trouble. And trouble is what Syracuse got in Nova and just bad timing and they're a better team. That's that's the best way to put it. They're better than us. And, and, you know, I, I thought I started to see some things against Florida state that were encouraging, which was a Syracuse out rebounded a very uh, physical and usually very big Florida state team, uh, 41 to 40. They held Florida State to just 28% shooting in the second half, uh, three for 17 from three-point range in the second half, just four for 30 from three-point range overall. Um, So Syracuse showed some signs defensively in that game, Um, and they did so against Indiana in that first half as well. So even though they hadn't put those two halves together yet, they were showing some signs that things were starting to get a little bit better uh, defensively. And being able to turn it around on the road from being down by eight uh, against Florida State to 
win that game, get you to five and three, you started to feel like things were normalizing a little bit and that the Colgate loss was just a fluke and that the Syracuse team actually had a chance to be, uh, you know, pretty good. But then, as you said, they went and played Villanova. We know is better than Syracuse. They were coming in. Uh, Syracuse wasn't expected to really be competitive in this game. And yet at halftime, Syracuse led by three. And you thought, man, maybe they really have turned a corner, even if they end up losing this game. But Villanova asserted its dominance in the second half. They made eight three-pointers in the second half and scored 41 points in that second half to end up beating Syracuse by 14 in a game, honestly, that was far more competitive than that. Um, you know, it was a full, it was a five-point game with eight minutes to go a six-point game with seven minutes to go, and Syracuse was trailing by just four with six minutes to go. And that's really when Villanova kind of took control of the game and put it away, and Syracuse wasn't able to answer. But again, you got a top-10 team. You're within four with six minutes to go. Given the fact that they had won those last two games against Indiana and Florida State, you still felt like there were some encouraging signs, right? So you win those two games back to back after the battle for Atlantis, you're competitive with a top 10 team on a neutral court. Now you're going to play at Georgetown. Yes. It's a rivalry game, all of that, but you beat that team. You improved to six and three and uh, I'm sorry to, to six and four. And you feel like you've sort of stemmed the tide from those early season stumbles. But it was not to be a loss at your rival. But it wasn't just the fact that Syracuse lost. It was the fact that they were up by 10 at the half. They looked like clearly the better team. And then they shot 36% in the second half, allowed Georgetown to shoot 56% in the second half. Um, Freshman Aminu Muhammad had a career game with 23 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists. He was just wrecking Syracuse in the middle of that zone all game long. They had no answer, despite the fact that Buddy had 17 points. He was in a shooting slump coming into the game, but made three of seven from three. Uh, Joe Girard had 15 points, seven assists, and three steals. There were some good things there. But defensively was where they had issues, especially in that second half. And Georgetown pulls out a win that put Syracuse to five and five and kind of brought the orange uh, back down to earth from any sort of semblance that they were going to be that team that we thought they were before the season started. Yeah. And I have a trend that I have noticed, Mike, and it kind of, again, as this is our last loss we've had, we've only played one more game beyond Georgetown. There's a trend here, which is in the second halves against Georgetown, Nova, Indiana, Arizona State, VCU, and Colgate, the trend is that we give up a butt-ton of points. I mean, you just bump the numbers up. Whatever they had in the first half, so they had 30, they put up 45. That is the trend we're seeing here, is that teams, the second half against the zone, just put up points. And you're going to expect that against the zone because, again, you don't see it often. If you're a college team, it's not the most common thing to see a 2-3 zone played this well. But right now, the second halves look like we're basically still like not on the court yet until the game's over. That's what it feels like. In all of these losses, except for Indiana, where we won because of it overtime, we gave up 40-plus. We gave up 50 in some halves. And they're all in the second half. The first half, Great defense, amazing, shooting well. Second half, nothing nothing works for us. And it is a very scary trend to see. There's no question. Um, and and we had done, I actually had done an analysis, um, and I, I don't remember whether it was after the uh, Villanova game or after the Georgetown game. Uh, I think it was after the Georgetown game where I outlined Syracuse's efforts in the first half versus the second half. And offensively, it was pretty similar uh, numbers wise. You know, they're averaging similar number of points and shooting percentage was pretty similar. It was defensively where there was a massive issue in that teams were averaging, I believe, about five more points per game uh, or per half. 
and the shooting percentages skyrocketed about 10 to 15 percent um, of, of an increase, both in overall shooting and three point shooting. So to your point, uh, second half defense has been a major issue uh, all season long, and it reared its ugly head against Georgetown. Then we had a bit of a break. There was that that game against Georgetown was on December 11th. Syracuse didn't play again until December 27th. So 16 days, uh, a little more than two weeks and about two and a half weeks. And the, the reason was because Syracuse had a COVID outbreak within its program. They ended up um, canceling the Lehigh game, postponing the Cornell game. And Syracuse was able to add a game against Brown, which happened on uh, Monday. And, um, you know, that, that COVID pause, it forced Syracuse to have to quarantine a bunch of players. They weren't able to, to practice as a team um, for, for a certain length of time, but they were able to get several practices in before the Brown game. So it kind of felt like they were ramping things back up. And while Brown made a little bit of a push, um, you know, late in the first half, that was a game that Syracuse pretty much dominated from start to finish, shot the ball well. Um, They held Brown, who they gave North Carolina a real run at North Carolina earlier this season. Uh, I believe North Carolina ended up winning by seven, but that was a one possession game um, in the final couple of minutes. And Syracuse held Brown to... uh, just 60, 62 points, which is about 12 points less than what they're um, scoring per game. They held them to 34% shooting overall, which is about uh, 9% less than what they're shooting um, as a team and 29% from three-point range, which is about 3% less than what they're typically shooting overall as a team. So a good, a good effort there. And to kind of counter uh, the point that we had made against Georgetown, and some of those other uh, some of those other losses, Syracuse's defense got much better in the second half in this game. In the first half, Brown shot thirty nine percent overall, thirty eight percent from three point range, and scored thirty two points. In the second half, they scored thirty points, but the shooting percentage dropped down to thirty one percent and twenty two percent from three point range. So uh, I think some encouraging signs there in the bounce back uh, from your COVID pause. Yo, big bounce back. The fact that you gave up only, and again, you said they made a run late. That run still resulted in us winning by 31, which is an avalanche of points. Uh, This was exactly what we needed after COVID. Um, Winning by 31 in a convincing fashion, which that always is going to be, and putting up good points and holding them to 62 points is a good game by us. Would it have been nice to hold them to less? Obviously, but it's a good win. The offense got itself going. Uh, we ended up shooting from three. We shot 61%, which is a, a very solid percentage shooting from three, especially in the area we play in. Um, and 57% from the field as a whole. So it was a very good win. And it came obviously after we had the two, the two game break. Uh, so I think it was good. We'll hopefully see coming up, especially with ACC play starting up come the new year, how this team will fare. I think this has kind of been what you'd expect, except for the defense has been tragically bad. I think ACC play, we're going to see either a really great team or we're going to get smoked. Yes, no no question. Um, and so going into ACC play, where does this team stand? Uh, they, they are six and five as of the recording of this uh, episode and um, Syracuse is, is looking to get to seven and five going into ACC play. Um, they, they have one game in conference under their belt at Florida state. That was kind of scheduled at a weird time. They were supposed to play Georgia tech um, on Wednesday, but uh, Georgia tech is in COVID protocol. So uh, Syracuse has the Cornell game that was previously postponed in its place and will hope to, um, get that game against Georgia tech rescheduled for some other point in the season. But uh, they open the the ACC home openers against Virginia on Saturday, New Year's day, eight o'clock game in the carrier dome. Uh, Virginia is not the typical Virginia team that they have been in years past. They're not the 
you know, top 10 ish team. That's a national championship contender. Uh, that's not what Virginia is this year. They are seven and five um, going into this game with a 17 point home loss to Clemson with a three point road loss to James Madison. Uh, they lost to Navy in the season opener. Uh, they lost to Iowa at home. Iowa's okay, not great. Um, and they got so, beat down by Houston early in the season as well. I see that. Houston beat them up uh, one by 20, I believe. Yes, yes. Now, now Houston's a good team, so losing to them is is not you know a, a detriment necessarily. Uh, they were a Final Four team last year. Uh, I think they're in the top 10 at this point. But um, losing by 20 is not what you expect from Virginia. You expect Virginia to be competitive in those games when you're playing nationally ranked opponents. Um, you know, Pittsburgh is a bad basketball team this year, to, to put it mildly. They're sitting at five and seven on the year. Um, they were two and five coming into that game. Pittsburgh has, has won a couple of games here, but they beat Colgate, Jacksonville, and St. John's. Um, so, you know, not exactly murderer's row there. But hey, we didn't beat Colgate. So. That is true. That is true. So Col- so Colgate might end up presenting quite a challenge. I'm sorry, Pittsburgh might end up presenting <laughs> quite a challenge since they were able to hold Colgate to 68 points when Syracuse gave up a cool 100 to them. But the point is, Virginia is not the same team that you typically are, are used to seeing in years past. Uh, they struggle on um, offensively quite a bit and uh, are not as good defensively as, as you're used to seeing. So that's a winnable game, I think. And then, you know, you start looking at the schedule. Syracuse plays at Miami on January 5th. Miami is having um, a decent start to the season, uh, but they're not a great team. They're sitting at nine and three. Don't really have any um, marquee wins on their schedule so far. You know, they've beaten Canisius, Florida Atlantic, Florida A&M. North Texas, um, Lipsicum. They did beat the Clemson team that just blew out Virginia. Um, then they beat Fordham and Stetson. So this is not a team that has a ton of uh, major wins despite their record, but that's a game that you would feel like Syracuse should be competitive in. Um, Wake Forest is kind of interesting because they've had a really, really, really good start to, to the season. They're sitting at 11 and one. Um, and they've, they've beaten some good teams. They blew out a Virginia tech team that people thought was going to be pretty good um, coming into the season. They beat Oregon state um, and Northwestern. So a couple of major conference opponents, but that's not a team that you feel like is significantly more talented than you. Then you've got Pittsburgh, Florida state and Clemson all at home, uh, which should all be winnable games. So there is a chance here for Syracuse to go on a little bit of a run and, you know, perhaps win five out of six or six out of seven or something like that. And, and try to get yourselves back into a quality record. But um, you know, it's Syracuse doesn't have a lot of margin for error at this point. And it's, only because of their own doings. Um, if I have to look at the biggest issues going forward, and we'll get your thoughts on that, Kyle, um, in, in a moment. I think the biggest issues are things we've already touched on, honestly. It's it's defense. Uh, they're going to score. They're going to score points. I feel like they're going to score 70-plus points in most games. And most of the time, that should be enough to win. So how well they perform defensively is going to be key, and then how they do on the boards is, is kind of part of that because – They'll play good defense. They've had situations where they play good defense, but then the other team gets the offensive rebound, and then you have to do it all over again, and that's when a lot of times when teams will get a much better shot. So uh, they have to control the defensive glass. They have to be better defensively. If they can even be an average defensive team with the way that they can they can score, uh, I think that that bodes well for them the rest of the season, but uh, you know they have to be able to show that consistently. Yeah, I mean, the two points you made are spot on. There's one more thing I'll add in a second. But just on the the rebounding front, um, there are 350 teams in the whole of Division I in terms of rankings and what matters. 350 teams. I want you to guess where we rank in terms of uh, overall like net rebounding per game. Where do you think we rank? Last, I don't know. Last. We are 279th. That's not good. 
No, it's not good. We we average we averagely give up two and a half boards a game. That our opponents put up get thirty nine. We get thirty six and a half boards a game. So we're already starting at a two and a half rebound disadvantage, which for those keeping track at home is not great. That's not good at all. Some teams better than us include Detroit Mercy, uh, Siena College, uh, Kansas City, Valparaiso, Furman, UIC, just to name a few. Um, not murderers row, but they're better rebounders than us, which is not ideal. Um, we'll throw in two little nuggets there, by the way, which is um, Detroit Mercy. Eric Devendorf was on staff for them for a couple of years. Uh, he's not anymore, but he he was a coach for there. So we'll say that that's the Eric Devendorf effect, why they're a better rebounding team than Syracuse. Um, and I went to college at Roberts Wesleyan College in Rochester, New York. And one of the players on the basketball team uh, for a couple of years that I was there was a transfer from UIC. So anyway, those are my nuggets okay. for the day. Continue. Very good things. Uh, and obviously you said defense. We've discussed that. The other thing for me is the one that I think we thought we'd be best at this year, which is the three ball. The three ball has not been good for us this year. And the two players I want to point out are Cole Swider and Buddy Bayon. So starting with Cole, because Buddy's obviously the big note here. Cole last year, uh, before he transferred, obviously, to us, shot 40% from three, which very good numbers. That's what you want to be shooting in the NBA, that gets you paid. In college, it gets into the NBA. You need to shoot 40% to be a great shooter. He's currently shooting 32%, which is not ideal. It's not great at all. And the big one, the, the Buddy Beheim, uh, our star, our stud, senior, um, he is worse. He, so far throughout his career, last year shot 38%, which is good, not great. This year, He's down to 30.7% from three, which for those keeping track at home will not get you any awards anytime soon. That is one out of three threes goes in. That's not good. That's not good enough. I'm sorry. It's not. So that's what concerns me is his percentage has dropped. And obviously a part of that is defense is keying in on him and them trying to stop his three. Cause as we saw, especially the tournament last year, when he gets hot, He's hot and he's not cooling down anytime soon. So his numbers have dropped. That's probably, I'd put a big part into why our season has been worse is he, he is not living up to expectations this year. And was it unfair of a lot of people nationally to put the, you should be in the, one of the top players in the nation, one of the best in the ACC on your head top. No, it wasn't fair, but also it was, he played lights out. He carried us. In the tournament last year, he's one of the best players in the nation. He's one of the best shooters in the nation, and he's shooting 30%. That's, that's problematic. Now, here's, here's the, um, the positive side of that, uh, because valid points, right? Syracuse needs Cole Swider to shoot better. Um, he's getting open looks, and if he shoots better – because Joe has shot Joe Girard has shot the ball fantastic so far this season. But if Cole Swider starts shooting the ball a little bit better, now teams can't focus as much on Buddy, which will give him some better looks, which will help his percentage. So it kind of all works together, right? Here's the encouraging thing: is that Cole Swider is six for thirteen in his last two games from three. So that obviously, you know, perhaps there was just some early season adjusting to the a new team, new system, new role type of situation um, and he will continue to get better um, as the year goes along and with Buddy he was shooting poorly last season right about this time and then by the time the year ended he got up to 38% and he was 4 for 6 in the last game against Brown he was 3 for 7 against Georgetown so perhaps both of these guys are starting to turn around, but those are the numbers they need, not what they had been previously. You're absolutely right on that. And the other point that I want to mention um, that I neglected to state uh, previously is I think Syracuse needs to get something from its bench. And yeah. that doesn't mean yeah. that, that Benny Williams and Samir Torrance and Frank Anselm have to give you something every game. Even if two of those guys gave you something in most games, um, but to have to play 38 minutes a game for all of your starters, 
I mean, that's going to wear on you throughout the season. I think Samir Torrance has shown some flashes. He had seven assists against Brown, which was encouraging. Frank Anselm had, he only played 11 minutes, but I think that was just because the game got out of hand as much as anything. Um, he showed some good things in that game with, with five rebounds. And I believe he had a block shot as well. And he's shown some things in other games. We mentioned the four free throws that he had against Indiana in that second overtime with Jesse Edwards out due to foul trouble uh, due to fouling out. So if they can get something from at least two of those guys going forward, I think that would be a huge help uh, for the rotation to keeping guys fresh and, and keeping all of that. So um you know, Syracuse is six and five as of the recording of this episode because they do have a game coming up right away. And then ACC play right around the corner, and it's going to get real interesting real fast. Some some big tests coming up for Syracuse. Yeah, and I want to add this one in for something else that's been a problem. This has always been a problem for him, and I know I'm nitpicking a bit, but Joe, Joe Girard, as you said, he's shooting the ball amazingly. He's shooting 50% from three currently, which if he shoots 50% all year, that's you're up there for one of the best shooters of all time season wise. That's, that's where you're looking. Um, he is turning the ball over at a fairly high rate. Um, he's been at under, he's been at last year um, in 2020, 2021. He was at around two a game and same with the year before that right now he's sitting at a cool three turnovers a game, uh, which again, that so it's one more turnover a game plus, giving up two and a half rebounds a game, those numbers add up. And when you get towards the end of the season, when you start playing the Dukes and the UNCs and the Clemsons, the teams take advantage of that, that's a problem. Yeah, Is no. it a problem against Brown? No. Is it a problem against Paolo Bonchero and Duke? Yes, <laughs> big time. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe has had a really strong start to the season, right? I mean, you would take um, 15 points, five assists, three rebounds, almost two steals a game while shooting 51% from three. You would take that as, as your starting point guard. That's, that's, that's going to be a, a pretty positive thing for you. But as you mentioned, it's the three turnovers game. And most of the time, they're not forced it's just dribbling the ball up the court and he just dribbles it off his foot or he's trying to get in the lane and just loses control of the ball. Um, if he can cut those back down back to where he has been the previous two years at only about two turnovers a game while keeping his assist numbers up at around five a game, I think that could, could be a huge thing for Syracuse as well. So that's another thing to keep an eye on moving forward. But that'll do it for episode 25 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. I'm Mike McAllister for Kyle F, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.